following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. That, that the Holy Spirit's going to do a work of ministering to our heart, leading us to freedom, setting us free from the lies and deceptions, the paradigm problems that we face in life that, uh, that can really liberate us to what Jesus came to do, which was set us free. Um, I, I, you know, I mentioned earlier, and I, and I just want to say that again, please, you know, it, sometimes the simplest of truth have the most profound promise in them is is what James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know, so my, my challenge this morning as we get into this text, which really is about a young man trying to, um, to find his way to eternal life to, and doesn't realize that, he, that eternal life himself is standing in front of him, that the, king, the, the kingdom's king is right there um, and, uh, and this conversation that's had here is so incredibly rich. Uh, permit me to pray again, if you wouldn't mind. Father, I, I just thank you for this incredible opportunity to be in front of your word. Um, Holy Spirit, we are so desperate for your work to, to, uh, to write this word upon our hearts, to challenge and change us, to call us to repentance, to show us uh, the areas in our life where that need um, construction and destruction. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, just reveal to us and that you'd find in us a willing spirit, a, a heart that is pliable to the potter's hands, that is fertile soil and not encumbered by the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth or the pursuit of pleasure, but that has a, a passionate objective to see your kingdom come and your will be done. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless these ears and these hearts and these lips. Lord, we are frail, but you are mighty and you have great intentions today. We ask and pray that your purpose, your will would be accomplished here as we hear from your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, that you'd have your way in Jesus name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles and I hope you do, uh, we are in Luke uh, chapter 18, uh, verses 18 to 30 this morning. Uh, we are continuing to walk through um, this, uh, this wonderful gospel. Uh, also, I uh, want to mention that as we come upon this event in, li in the life and ministry of Jesus, there's, uh, there's a young man here who, from the world's perspective, is highly successful, right? He's, 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 He's young, he's wealthy, um, and he has influence. And, uh, and, and, and here we, he feels like, like th but in his, in his heart, as we see kind of proclaimed in, by his own words and then affirmed by Jesus' statement, that he's lacking something and he knows it. There's something missing. And, uh, and, and he knows it's missing and he's coming to the one that he believes has an answer for his dilemma. And so let's read the text here together. And uh, I believe as the Lord has unpacked some things for me that I'm so excited to share with you this morning. So we're in Luke 18 verses 18 to 30. And it goes like this. And a ruler asked him, him being Jesus, good teacher, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then, then who can be saved? But he said, what is, possible, what is impossible for man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left ho our homes and followed you. He said to them, I truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house and wife or wife or brother or parent or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Okay, so there is so much misconception about what Jesus is really pointing him to here and what Jesus is saying specifically to him about the area of wealth. We're going to unpack some of that. Please be, you know, it's so often we can be so um, critical of those that, um, that miss the mark in, in Jesus' life and ministry. Um, but there is something so... There, there's always something to be found in their lives that's relatable to us that we can learn and glean from. Be sensitive to the Spirit as we walk through this together this morning. He was, he was given the perfect answer to his question and he walked away. Sad, I might add. Sad. He came to the right person, he asked the right question and received the right answer and he made the wrong choice. Why? Why? Has the Lord pointed out something in your life recently? Has there been a moment where the Lord has answered your question, but maybe not in the way that you had hoped or perceived, right? And, but is there an area of your life that the Lord has kind of addressed that, that you feel, maybe it's like in the case of this young man, is a significant part of your perceived identity. And, uh, and, and you're resistant on this, missing out on all of the intimacy and the privilege of following Jesus rather than seeking or believing that we can hold on to things and follow him at the same time. Have you responded in obedience or have you walked away per se? So let's look at the text verse by verse. And we could spend most of our time, and I think that would be ideal, in fact, right here in verse 18. Um, and it begins with this. And keep in mind, Matthew and Mark also have an account on this. 
and, uh, and have some nuance that I'll bring as we go along just to kind of add to the, to the value of this moment and what we can glean um, for, from Jesus' counsel. Um, verse 18 says, and a ruler. Now, we don't know um, what, many would speculate that he's a synagogue ruler because of the context of the passage. But I think all that we're meant to know, because there's other speculation, all that we're meant to know is that this is a young man that has influence, right? That he has, he has a, a role that includes influence. He's a ruler. He, he's a leader. Um, and a ruler asked him, good teacher. Now, let's just pause there because this is the, probably the most important thing we need to understand in order to understand the entire interaction that goes on here. Do you know that this is the only time in Scripture, in the New Testament, that anybody calls Jesus good teacher or good? Now, do you, do, would you say, like, don't we say it often, like, God is good, right? And now, is that a true statement? Right? And do we often use words like awesome and other words that, you know, um, like God is good, like as if God is as good as a, a, a really good slice of pizza? Right? I mean, there's no comparison, right? No comparison whatsoever. So I say that to say this. In first sentence, and this is so, like, if we don't get context and Jewish context here like we miss a whole lot first of all we don't even understand what Jesus is saying in response initially in Jewish culture good was only reserved for God only you would not ascribe that characteristic that that affirmation to anything other than God because God was the pinnacle and the and the, the he was, he was good. And let, let me make that point. Throughout the Old Testament, we see like, um, I, have a, I have one example. In Psalms 34, we're going to jump a little ahead here. Psalms 34, 8, it says this. Taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And so in first century culture, in Jewish culture, much like they would never even say God's name, they would not use the word good for anything other than God. And here's the first and only time that we see someone coming to Jesus and calling him, basically in their context, if I were to, if I were to say it this way, God teacher, good teacher. Like he's ascribing deity here to him. And that's a very interesting and novel moment in Jesus's ministry. Okay, and we will get back to that because this, this, um, this plays itself out as Jesus' response. But then he asked this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In Mark, it says it this way. And as, just so that we understand his posture, his, his, his des desperation and his humility, Mark says this. And Mark is often... Uh, thought of as being the scribe, John Mark, of Peter. So this would have been an eyewitness account. And as he set, and as he was setting out on his journey, speaking of Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I think this is a bad question and a really good question. Right? 
it's bad from the standpoint as we'll unpack and as Jesus unpacks for him is that how, what, what must I do to, can anybody answer for me? What can I do to inherit eternal life? It's impossible, right? Like, does my works bring any value to, to my eternal uh, merit before God? Nothing, right? Like, so from that standpoint, it's, it's, uh, it, it's coming from a misconception, but it's coming out of a Jewish context that has been told that if you obey the law, like if you, if you obey the law, you will live, right? But what's the problem? We can't. Right? We have a nature that is prone to sin and everyone falls short of the glory of God. How many are righteous? Not one. And all of that is in, in view of like God's standard of holiness and righteousness. And so what must he do? Well, really, it's interesting because Jesus gives him something to do, but it's not about what we do, it's about what he's done. And that really is one of the the goodest part of the good news, <laughs> right? That it doesn't depend on us, that God's love is bigger than our sin and our brokenness. And he extends his rescue beyond uh, any merit on our behalf that it's, it's because Jesus paid our debt, a debt we could never satisfy and that he satisfied our debt not in part, but in whole, in order to bring us back to himself and rescue us completely. Is Miss Betty okay? She's sleeping, and that's okay. Donna, is Miss Betty okay? Do we know? Sarah, do you want to take a peek? Uh, guys, let's pray. Let's pray this, in this moment. Father, we thank you that, uh, that you are the author of life. And that it's your breath that, uh, that brings any sense of uh, hope. And, and uh, so, Lord, we ask that you would minister to Miss Betty in this moment, that you would strengthen and encourage her, and that you give us wisdom to know how we might respond to her need in this moment and honor and please you in the process. Please, Father, you, you're the only one that can do the miracles that we look to you for. So I pray that you would touch and minister to this precious body, this precious saint, this one. Lord, Miss Betty, we put her in your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 How are we doing? Are we okay? Oh, my. Okay, you let us know if we need to do anything at all. Donna, are we Okay. You're going to take her home? Oh, Miss Betty, we love you. Bless your heart. So thankful for you. Okay, um, so here's, here's, the, um, here's the part of the question that I think is, is fantastic. And I'm not even sure that he had any idea, you know, that this was such a, a rich way to ask this question. And, um, and this, honestly, this, you know, obviously this is a very familiar text for most of us, a, a familiar event in Jesus's life and ministry. And, and I've thought of this, this has ministered to my life. This has been a, a point of ministry in, 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 in referencing this. Um, but he, this is what he says. He says, what must I do? And then what's the next word? to inherit 
eternal life. So in this moment, I, I just want to point to, okay, so let me ask a question. Um, how does anybody, who inherits anything? Children, right? So typically a child is the one that inherits, right, the, the, the gifts that the, that the, 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 the parent would, would bestow. Isn't that interesting when you put this in, in, in perspective? Miss Betty, we love you. Donna, please let us know how things are going. We love you. Um, so in his question, there, there's almost an answer for us. Like, this requires, eternal life requires sonship, right? It requires, it, 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 it must be bestowed by a father. It, uh, it's, it's an inheritance, it's given to us. Let me, a verse that just came to mind, like in John chapter one, if you have your Bibles, turn with me. It's uh, just an interesting parallel. It's kind of like what, what John, uh, Jesus was trying to explain in John chapter three to Nicodemus, that, that a man must be born again. We'll, we'll tie that in here in just a minute. But, but listen to what, what John chapter one, verse 12 says. But, Make sure we get context here. I'll start with verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Speaking of Jesus, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you see it? Right? Like, I mean, even in his question, there is, there's the beauty of that, in her, that, that eternal life is something that's inherited by sons and daughters. And that w what we need is adoption. What we need is, is an intimate, close relationship with our Heavenly Father. And the only way that that's ever going to be possible is through the Son. And that Jesus is, is wanting to make us co-heirs with Christ. Like with himself, he wants, he wants us to share it. He's not like the older brother in the prodigal son story, right? He wants to share his inheritance with us, right? And, and that's the only way. So I just think that there's some beauty to the, the, the question when he understands, like, and maybe he doesn't, but at least he articulates that how do I inherit this? Because inheritance requires, right, relationship, sonship, uh, and... Uh, and, a and someone that's, that's gracious and uh, benevolent. So as we move beyond that particular moment, the, the ruler called him good teacher. And as I mentioned, this is extremely unique to all of New Testament scripture and, and how um, folks interact or, and, and you know, you, you might want to ask the question, is he trying to flatter Jesus? But that doesn't seem to be his objective at all. In fact, we're going to talk about the implications of that in just a moment. What must we do to inherit eternal life? Well, we, we, know, we know the answer. Paul unpacks that for us in multiple places, including Romans, that we can't save ourselves. That the law, though holy, um, is, is just meant to show us how, how separated we are, how sinful we are, how desperate we are for a mediator, for one that is perfect, the Lamb of God to come and take away the sin that separates us and actually bring us back to life. Um, and, you know, as it says, he gives us the right to be called, to become 
Children of God. This was, this, and, and what was the catalyst in, in John 1.12 that we just read? All those that believed in him. Right? Is it simple childlike faith that ushers us into uh, beyond our sin debt and into his presence that breaks down the walls of hostility and, and opens and the opportunity for us to be given a new heart and, and to put plant, seal his spirit as a guarantee? Like, isn't that a sweet statement for us to know? So in verse 19, it says, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So this has been misrepresented, in my opinion. Like, Jesus is not denying his deity, is he? Has, I mean, like, do we have countless other accounts where he says, you know, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like, you know, I, before Abraham was, I am. Like, I mean, Jesus has clearly stated that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us, right? And, um, and so that can't be what he's saying. So what he is saying is, and this is so important to kind of understand our, the, the, the young man that's standing in front of Jesus here, is why do you call me good? Jesus answers his question with a question, which is not unusual. And what he's saying is, do you know that I'm God? Because, look, Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, look, we, we know that you're from God because nobody does what you're doing unless they are, right? Like, so obviously there's been some influence here. There's been some um, experiences or he's been privy to Jesus' ministry. So he's coming with this, this statement, right? In our, in our context, oh yeah, Jesus, Jesus is definitely a good teacher, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you're a God teacher. You're, you're, you're that good, now, what I, what I want us to understand about this rich young ruler, which this helps us to understand, especially Jesus' question and response, is, you know, this young man had kind of like, he checked all the boxes, right? Like, he, he's, he's, uh, he's, got, he's got influence, he's got money, like, and he's kind of like, you know, he, he's kind of coming to Jesus and kind of going, hey, what else, what else do I need to do to make sure I'm good? You know, like I, I've got it all taken care of for forever, you know. And, uh, and, and what I believe has transpired in his statement about who, how he sees Jesus is, look, when I compared myself, okay, do people compare themselves to other people? Do we do that at all, ever? Right? And, and is there a competitive spirit in that? And is there like, you know, I want to be the best in my class. I want to be the best. And, and there, there's some value to, to but, but like when it's, when it's, when it becomes our identity, when it becomes like, see, what I believe has happened here is like, you know, if, if he measured himself by any other individual, he's doing pretty good, right? But all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the scene and he doesn't feel like he's doing pretty good anymore. He feels like, man, there's something I'm lacking here in light of you. And I'm going to come to you and ask you. Yeah, I mean, you, I see this. I see this in, in dynamics within relationships. I, I see this with folks that shine for Christ's glory, that people be like, man, they're happy. Man, what's their secret? Like, they seem to be really content. And man, I wrestle with that. 
you know, or they seem to, to be really wealthy. I want to I get close to them and find out why or how. You know, or like, you know, they, they, they seem to be joyful all the time. Or, you know, and, and people will come in looking for, like, what do you got? You know, that I don't have. And, uh, and so, like, that's, that's one of the things that we see unpacked in John chapter 1. Light came into the world, but the world was filled with darkness and, you know, really, you know, rejected the light, right? And, uh, and w- the light, you know, that's, that's talking about God's character, his, his eminence, his, gr- his glory, right? And, uh, and what it does is, is it, it reveals our darkness. And when it does, what are we going to do with that? Are we going to try to turn the light out? which is quenching the spirit, saying no to conviction, uh, rejecting the counsel of God's word. You see, you following with me? Or are we going to submit and say, you know what? As hard as that is, and as, as much as that is a part of who, I mean, you're asking me to give up me here, or at least what I perceive to be my identity. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow you. And if this is what's getting in the way, then... then Okay, that's got to go. And in this scenario, that's, that's what's spoken, but that's not, that's not what happens. And there's sadness uh, because of it. And so Jesus asks him, are, are you saying that you see me for who I am? Because only God is good, right? Doesn't that make sense? Only God is good. Was, was this man seeing Jesus for who he is? The verse, the verse goes on in verse 18, or in chapter 18, verse 20, it says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. So here's my question. How many of the Ten Commandments does he give him? How many Ten Commandments are there? It's kind of an easy question, right? <laughs> um, but here, here's the thing. It's interesting that he gives them this. And, and a, a lot of times, guys, we might just kind of glance over this and be like, huh, interesting. But you notice that, first of all, he leaves out covetousness. He leaves out the, te- I mean, he goes right down the list, right? Four, five, six, seven, or five, six, seven, eight, nine, and boom, stops right there, right? And, and why? Do you, do you think that this rich young ruler had any awareness of the Ten Commandments and knew them extremely well? Do you, do you think for a moment he didn't know that that was not on the list? And, uh, and do you think for a moment that Jesus is doing what he always does? Is he's kind of putting him, the word, his word, in front of him like a mirror just to reveal his own heart to him in this moment? And that's exactly what he's doing. Like, I mean, do you, do you believe for one moment that Jesus is saying, oh, well, do the commandments and you'll live? You know, and in one way, that's, that's true, right? If we can do that, we would, but we can't. And Jesus is trying to show him his error. So let me ask a question this morning. Does God reveal our errors? In his mercy, in his love, in his kindness, does he point out our darkness? Does he show us? the things that are hindering, and for what purpose? For what purpose? To draw us near, to keep us close, to invite us to follow him more dearly and intimately. Like, this was, this was the heart behind it. 
he left out covetousness and then he addresses his need. You know, you know what this tells us again, just reminds us in a subtle way that do you think Jesus knew his heart? And do you think Jesus knows yours, Jill? And isn't that a comfort? Some of us would say, well, to some degree, but, but some of the things I'm not really wanting. Listen, he knows all of it and loves you anyway. Because if you look at this account in Mark, which is not in, in, in Luke or Matthew, and I'll read it in, in a little bit, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved his, his want, his desire, his pursuit, but it was all wrapped up in status and in his image, right? And that had to fall in, in order for him to follow. And there will always be things in our life and our journey with the Lord that have to fall in order for us to follow because they will hold us. They will, the sin that so easily entangles us. We see that in Romans, I mean, Hebrews 12, right? And what's the context of that? The race marked out for us. We can't, we can't run a race. He'll talk about an, a camel through the eye of the needle here, but like we can't run a race with shackles on our feet. The sin that so easily entangles. And so um, we, what's interesting here, it says if we could keep the law, we would live, but we can't. Yet he has this response to Jesus. And Sad in some regard. He says in verse 21, and he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Did, did he understand the perfect standard of the law? Did, did, did he, I mean, here's the question. Are you, are you he's kind of walking in a, a manner that I've, I've got it all figured out. You know, I've done everything that I can do, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm good, Um. And, uh, and that's definitely not the case. Like, I mean, I don't think he was there at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, you've already murdered him. That the standards are, the righteous standards of the law are far beyond our capacity to realize them. And, uh, and yet Jesus was the one and only one that could come. And he said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it so that, the, that his resume could be ours in exchange for our rags. In verse 20 of Matthew 19, it says, the young man said to him, all these things, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Can I just point this out? He knew there was something missing. There was a deep sense that he wasn't satisfied and that something was amiss. And Jesus affirms that. As we go into verse 22, it says, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Now, he tells him to sell some. No. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So let me ask you a question. If we sell everything we have and give it to the poor... Is that our ticket to, to glory? Is that how we get eternal life? Is that what Jesus was saying? No. So what is he saying? He is saying that this is what's keeping you from following me. This is the very thing that, that 
You know, wealth has become not something. Isn't it, isn't it kind of sad? You know, you have someone like James, who was the brother of Jesus, um, and, you know, just really wasn't on board for a large part of his life, but then, you know, truly became the leader of the Jerusalem church, you know, was a, a firm believer in Christ. The thief on the cross, right? Like, you know, we, we know that his transformation over a six-hour interval was from mocker to paradise, right? So, but like the, the annals of history record this person as the rich young ruler. And as I titled the sermon, the not-so-rich young ruler, right? I mean, that, that's his legacy. And unfortunately, that's what he was standing in. That was his identity. That was his value system. And, uh, and Jesus is now pointing a finger at those things. In fact, for him specifically, because this isn't for everyone, but for him, it's all. And give it to the poor so that you can come follow me, which is the answer to your question. Does that make sense? And so I believe along the, the journey as we sincerely, because I think there's great sincerity here. I think there's humility. I think there's, I, I, I believe he's, he's, he's genuine in, in his pursuit, but because otherwise, why does he experience the, the emotion of sadness? And, and, and yet, the, the, the tug and pull, the, the, the status and appeal, the value that he's ascribed to his wealth is of far greater importance to him than really what he's asking for. He's made an exchange in this moment. And, uh, and you know what I love? That Jesus says, Mark tells us he loved him, but we see that Jesus, in this text we just read, the last two verses, last two words, excuse me, Jesus invites him to be his disciple. He is, he, in this moment, Jesus is inviting him in in the most intimate of ways and he is saying no based on what? His inability to say yes to Jesus. And guys, we have to really, like, this is not some, some obscurity to our own circumstances in life. Like, there's relatability here. No? Anybody relatable? Like, in, I mean... You know, does money have a voice that cries, I'm your security, I'm your rescue, I'm your salvation? I mean, do, do people put their hope? Do we find a, a degree of comfort if, if there's, right? And, and, and God does not want to have, he, he, and he's going to tear down those idols because they, they won't stand. They won't stand the test of time. They won't. He endures as the one that is, is, is worthy of our trust and security. And so he, see, he invites him. He says, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Wednesday night we were in Romans 3 and I got so excited in preparation for the last part of this text so rich, such every, I, I, I was saying to the folks that were there, like, we, 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 we need to know, we need to meditate and memorize this portion of the text because this is the rich gospel that we need to, like, be so aware of. 
And, and I think it's incredibly relevant. If, 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 you, if you're available Wednesday night, please come and join us. We're in chapter four this week of Romans. If you get a chance to read that before you come, great. If not, still come. It's, 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 a, it's gonna be a, an incredible time together. But I wanna share a portion of the text that I think is so relevant to this moment. Romans chapter three, 20 to 25, first part of 25 says this. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Amir did a wonderful job two weeks ago helping us to understand the word justified, right? It means declared not guilty, declared not guilty, right? So, so we're, we're going to, we, we, our, our guilt is not removed by the works of the law. So for, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin, our awareness, our, our, our understanding of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. What's Paul talking about? Or should I say who? Right? Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, right? And the reason it's it and not him is it's belief or faith in Christ. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace. And don't miss this. As a what? As a what? As a gift. It's, a gift is, is bestowed. It's benevolent. It's received. It's, it's not paid for. It's and, in, and I know this might break your paradigm a little bit, but you don't have to pay it back. Right? It's a gift. Like, we, we are justified, we are declared righteous before a completely righteous and just and holy God in faith in Jesus Christ as the atoning work. That's what Messiah means, as the, uh, the, uh, the anointed one the atoning work of the cross, and, uh, and that he made, he satisfied our debt fully and by us putting our trust in him. And what that means is declaring him Lord and letting him, leaving, like following him, leaving ourselves so that we can walk in the newness of life. Right? It says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, for there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God the Father put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received, here it is again, by faith. And that word propitiation, because I think it's just so, so beautiful, is, is it means that our ra- the wrath of God is completely satisfied. That's one side of it. The, the other side of it is now we stand in total favor. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's who we are. That's, that's how glorious the cross is. That's how great the gift of God is. And this is exactly what Jesus is inviting him into, right? He's saying like all of your effort to be good, uh, to be worthy, to be right, to be wealthy, to be all of this and trying to hold that up, trying to sustain that 
is it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a house that's waiting for a storm. It's shifting sand. And he says, build your house on me, on the rock. And, and it will never fall despite the winds and the waves. In Galatians 2.21, it says this, I do not, Paul says, nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So what is that saying that Christ's purpose was to die that we might be righteous by faith? And that the law has no ability, like not that it's not perfect and holy, but we're not and we can't keep up. And, he, and, and really, this, this guy's trying, to, you know, like, he's exhausted by his, his, his pursuit of self-righteousness. Right? He's, he's trying to meet all the requirements. How, how's that going to work for him? And, and we've got to be careful that we don't fall into that same trap as Christians. Like, we're, we're trying to be, do you know, who, you know who's good? God's good. Do you know that one of the fruits of the Spirit is goodness? And that we need the Spirit in order to be good? And so, like, like, what the world needs to know is Him. And, and, and to go back to this whole thing that He's, you know, coming to Jesus, seeing Jesus as, like, okay, I thought I was good, but this guy's good. <laughs> you know, like, um, like when, when, when the world sees something in us, that we know, if anyone knows we know, it's not us but him. Like, let's be so quick to say, let me, let me be honest, this is because of God's presence in my life. And if, if you really want what you perceive that I have, and I do, what you need is him. Because the truth is, it's not about changing behavior. It's, it's a shift in belief. Once we believe, I mean, did we just read this in the scriptures, right? And Jesus is, is beckoning this, this young man to this, is if what you, what you want is me, is what he's saying, is him. And when people see anything in you that is, that is because of the power and presence of God in your life, I mean, we should, it should be like, it's the truth. It's the obvious answer. Well, Thank God, because that's definitely his presence and his goodness. And then we can rest in that because we can't, but he can't. What's impossible for man is possible with God, he goes on to say. So in, in verse 21, it says, and Jesus looked at him. This is from the Mark account now uh, for a moment. And, and I love this. He looked at him, and this is the context of this moment. And it, it says, loved him. Let's never forget that. And said to him, you lack one thing. What's he referring to? Remember I mentioned earlier, one thing is necessary and Mary has chosen it and it will not be taken from her. Right? You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. That's not what the one thing is. And you will have treasure in heaven. And now, come, follow me. Is, is there anything in your life that's holding you back from being a liberated, joyful, surrendered, abandoned follower of Christ? 
Are there things, are there attachments to this world that somehow have found their attachments to your identity and your sense of value that you know that the Lord keeps pointing to? You know, when you think of yourselves, like, are you a child of God? Is that the first? A servant of the Lord Jesus? Are these, are these, the, these the accolades that come to mind to, to, to identify yourself? Or is it I'm a, you know, guys can get caught up in titles, right? Or, or we can get caught up in our, in our character or our, man, look, all of that falls short and, and really falls off when we realize that Christ is enough. He's all that we need. But there can be things that can hinder us. He says, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus called him to make an internal investment. Jesus invited him into eternal life. Ultimately, he answered his question right here. And, and then back to verse 23, he says, and when he heard these things, he, the young, the young man, the rich ruler, he became very, very sad for he was extremely rich. Do you believe that wealth can be a weight? Can wealth be a weight? A hindrance? Um, when it, when it, it's a part of our identity, it's a part of our, our security, that it's, it's playing the role of an idol in our life and it's keeping us from really trusting God the way that he would want us to and that we need to. Jesus identified his wealth as his problem and obstacle. Holding on to our idols will keep us from following Jesus. Is that true? For sure. Have you overestimated the value of money? Have you overestimated its value? Have you, put, have you assigned or ascribed value to money that is beyond its capacity to realize? Are you investing in the right places? I mean, Jesus encouraged him to change his portfolio per posture, right? Are you investing in the right places? No one will be saved by giving their wealth to the poor. That's, I, I mentioned that earlier. That's not his point at all. The point is you can't serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. You'll, be, you'll despise one and be devoted to the other. You cannot love both God and money. You can't. He loved his money. He did not see his sin. And when revealed, he rejected repentance. Oh, that we would not quench the spirit when the spirit in his gracious work, his loving kindness reveals areas of our life that, that are holding us back from following Jesus and experiencing the kingdom now in part. So verses 24 and 25 it's interesting to me as we go into this that you don't see Jesus running after this young man. You don't. It says Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, speaks to specifically to his disciples. He says to those around him this statement. But it's interesting that he doesn't, he doesn't run after him. He, he invited him in and he chose his, 
his money, his identity over the identity that Jesus was offering him. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, he saw him. He saw his sadness, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So what he's doing here is he's addressing the, the blessing paradigm of the Jewish culture. Because here's what, here's, here's what Job's friends didn't understand, right? That, like, if you've got money, Rockefeller actually w- would misquote Jesus' words on, on this. Um, like, please understand that, that the Jewish culture is not different from ours in its, in its perception in this. But if, if you have wealth and, and influence, like, think about it. Like, what, what, do we, what do we, like, when you say, oh, you're blessed, you're blessed. Oftentimes we say those things because, oh, I just got a thousand dollars in the money. You're blessed, right? Like, um, but, but what is, and so what's going on here and why the, the disciples are perplexed is because if this guy who's so blessed, right, is not going to experience the, then we're in big trouble, Right? He says, how difficult is, those, uh, is it for those who have wealth uh, to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, you know, please understand that there was a gate in Jerusalem that was called the eye of the needle, but that was long after Jesus died and was resurrected. So that, those illustrations don't, that's not what he's saying. He, he, this is what Jesus is saying. It's impossible. It's impossible to this degree. That's all he's saying. Like he's just saying, I mean, have you ever, you know, I had, throw, throw that graphic up for me, please, the, the title slide from way back in the beginning, just, just as a visual. But like, guys, that's, Jesus is helping us to understand. I mean, how, what would a child say to you if you say, okay, here's the camel. Let's, uh, let's put that camel through this, the eye of the needle. You know, I mean, they would get the simple concept is that it's that impossible right? And, and that is what Jesus wants them to understand, that man can't rescue themselves. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot enter eternal life without me. This confronted their broken blessing paradigm for sure. So what is the point of Jesus's illustration here? Is the answer to your need of eternal life is outside of your capacity. You need my help. You need me. Come follow. Come follow me. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? And then he says these glorious words, but, but, but he said, what is impossible for man, impossible, Jesus says. He doesn't say, he, he leaves no room here. Impossible for man is possible with God. It is not possessing riches that keep us from, from eternal life, it is that they possess us. Right? And that's what Jesus is addressing here. And look, you might say, oh, I'm not really wealthy based on the context that we're in. The truth in the global economy, we're all wealthy. And this doesn't just have to do with amassed wealth. This, is, this has to do with your pursuit of it. Even now, if you don't have, you know, like, like, what are you after? And 
And more importantly, who? Are you trusting in money? It is a false sense of security and success. Man, we only need to listen to what Solomon had to say about all of this. He said it's meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. He said the whole duty of man is this, to fear God and to obey his commandments. And that's that. We, we can take it from someone that's tasted everything that this world has to offer and, uh, and draws that conclusion. So what's the point? And please don't miss this. Salvation is impossible in our work. This is the point. Salvation is impossible in our work. We must trust in his. If you're going to write something down, that's it. We've got to put our whole trust. Our salvation is based on Christ's cross and resurrection. It, our salvation is based on his loving pursuit of us and him satisfying a debt that was well beyond our capacity to, to do anything about. So salvation is impossible for, in our work. He must, we must trust in his work. And remember this. Remember that it's a gift. Remember that it's a gift. And also remember as a, as that it comes from a gracious and generous gift giver. Like it's our heavenly father. You know, though earthly fathers, though you are good, you know how to give good gifts. How much more? How much more? Like, and he literally in Luke in, in that passage of that moment says, just ask for the Holy Spirit. He, he wants to give it to you. And then the passage closes like this in verses 28 through 30. And Peter said, now Peter, much like the rich young ruler here, is now looking for assurance. Right? He says, see, we have left our homes and, and, and followed you. He said to them, truly I say to you. And he, and he doesn't just speak this to Peter. He says it to them all. He said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, wife, brothers, parents, children, and key here for the sake. This is not an excuse to leave those folks, by the way. <laughs> for the sake of the kingdom of God, for that sake, who will not receive many times more in this time. This is not talking about our eternal, like, you know, store for yourself treasures in heaven. This is it's saying, and the only way that that makes sense is the body of Christ. That, you know, th there will be, there are, there are many people that have lost intimate relationships in, because they have come to know Christ and that has caused some hardships. But God has promised that in the body, in his great provision, that there is, there is in, one, in one passage it actually says, I'll, I'll read it for you, Mark 10, 29 to 30 says this, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Like, you know, he is saying that there's nothing that you can lose. That, I mean, we, Job's a great example of this, right? Like, there's nothing that you can lose that I haven't provided for you for in the kingdom in ways that are numerous. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children. This is, he's, he's saying he will provide. But then I, the reason I brought Mark to our attention, which I don't think I, I did a slide for this one, um, but, but this is what it says with persecution. That's what Jesus says. That these things will come, but they will, they will, they will, persecution will be a part of that, that, 
that package. And, and then it says, and in the age to come, eternal life. Okay, so what's our takeaway this morning? If the worship team would come, the challenge here is to change. The, the challenge here is to turn. The challenge here is to repent. The challenge here is to let Jesus point out and the Holy Spirit identify things that are keeping us from being radically following Christ intimately, not letting anything hold us back from not trusting in anything other than him. And then very important here, we don't get to follow Jesus on our terms, but his. Right? Like, I think a lot of times we, 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 we want to add Jesus to our resume. We want to make Jesus a part of our life. No, he, he wants to be your life. He is, he is life. Right? And, uh, and so we don't, we, don't, we don't come, we don't follow Jesus on our terms, but on, but on his. And, and, and isn't, isn't this almost a bit of a warning for all of us? You know, especially as it relates to wealth and how we view it and how we treat it and how we spend or utilize or manage these things and, and, and whose it really is and who, who gets to decide. I mean, don't you think he, he already had plans for what he's entrusted to you? Is the Lord pointing out something? And this is what I want you to ponder, to contemplate and to submit in prayer to the Lord is, is the Lord pointing out something that is hindering you from following him? That's what he did for this young man and he loved him and, and he showed him the, the things that were, were, were holding him back from following him with his life and getting what he ultimately asked for. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all these glorious examples and relational uh, experiences that are so relatable that, uh, that help us to understand your heart, your intentions, your plan and pattern and purpose. And, um, and Lord, that we would never quench your spirit's counsel, conviction, comfort, that we would never miss the moment, the treasured moment of obedience, declaring our love for you. Father, we thank you for this time. Let us not walk away from this moment without giving you our full heart and attention and, uh, and being willing to repent so, and let go so that we might truly follow you with everything we are and all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.